and we are live. So today on Lifestyle Medicine, I've got Dorothy Fitzer, who I met, I think back in, God, 2002 or three. It was a, it was a long time ago when I actually- Really? When I originally met you, uh, it was oh at a, one, of the, one of the energy arts <laughs> workshops back in Menlo Park. You were, I think, helping facilitate and you were- talking about how, you know, the stuff you had done had fixed your feet. And it was, it was a, you know, different time many years back. But um, Dorothy is a marriage and family counselor, therapist. And you've also got some other kind of facets to what you do now. I know you have a shaman background and you've got Mm -hmm. some other therapeutics that you do. So for the people listening, can you give a little bit of background, you know, who you are, how you found yourself in the position you are and doing the things that you're, you're doing? Yeah, well, um, it, I, I have a lot of certifications that tend to confuse people. And so I think it's better to explain it how I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, as a teenager, um, you know, I was one of those kids that always wanted to dance, but your parents wanted to do um, I didn't start dancing until I was 15. It was the love of my life. And, um, but it, it, I didn't have the right body type and I was old for that kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, so I was just looking into anything I could do to kind of help me along and give me an edge. And, um, the husband of, uh, one of my beloved ballet teachers was an Alexander technique teacher. And, you know, as, as a teenager, you don't really have, um, an interest in awareness or anything like that. But, you know, if someone yeah. tells you you're going to get your leg up to here, you go do it. And so I started training in the Alexander Technique, which is sort of a body-centered awareness technique. It's, it's sort of about noticing where your bad habits are and releasing them and have more clear, directed motion. So I started that at 17 um, one, with a wonderful man, Ari Gill, who I think is still practicing down in San Diego. And he became a dear mentor of mine. And over the years, you know, he was just introducing me to a lot of stuff, like gave me my first book on Gestalt therapy, um, my first book on Eastern philosophy and religion. So I was really checking everything out. And um, in that time, I was also getting rolfed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I can't remember who started this saying, but... um, the issues are in the tissues. And I did my undergrad in psychology at UCSD, but no offense, UCSD, it wasn't that exciting. I, there wasn't, nothing really went, you know, I'm a passionate person and I, I ended up just getting my degree over with and didn't think academia held much for me. Didn't get a hold of you. No, I, I, I just, I, I, yeah, it, there wasn't a lot of passion and I, I don't know to what they were doing there. At least that got fed to me. And um, so um, I, I thought I was going to stick with just the body-centered work. And But in my early to mid-20s, um, I started suddenly having these um, – uh, you could say symptoms where when I was being worked on, I would spontaneously hit or kick on the table involuntarily. I couldn't control it. My teacher got in the habit of um, jumping out of the way. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I'd been in the car with someone who was a bit of a careless driver and kept taking blind turns in the wrong lane. 
We got an argument about that. And what that brought up for me um, at a certain point when I was describing it to my mother, I started screaming and crying uncontrollably. And what happened was it, it had awoken, uh, you know, basically um, undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. I had been in a terrible car accident at the age of four. Mm-hmm. And um, for 20 years, the emotional and physical symptoms of it had been highly compartmentalized. It was showing up as lifelong insomnia, maybe a bit of anxiety, um, slightly right. depressed mood, right. but nothing anyone was noticing. You know, I was, I was a kid back in the 70s, early 80s. No one had their antennas up for that. You think it's a kid, she doesn't remember, fine. I always remembered everything that happened, but it was what we call undercoupled from, severely undercoupled from the emotional and physiological states. Well, f- through all the body-centered work I was doing and, you know, that, that straw on the camel's back, you know, being with someone that was driving carelessly, and it got to the point where I was reliving it every other night, like screaming and crying. And it was difficult, but at the same time, I have this incredibly curious scientific mind. I went, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> that's what happens when you open up the body. Sure. And <clears throat> Ari Gill, my Alexander Technique teacher, was concerned. And he said, I think you need to talk to this guy. And... Um, it was this shaman, and I ended up working with him, and he did a soul retrieval for me, and after that one soul retrieval, I never relived the experience again. I had to process it, but the, um, you know, the stuck aspect, the re-traumatizing part was gone. And this situation, um, I think, was sort of like a divine gift, or a divine, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. Because I can't think of anything that better encapsulated in a very short time to me showing to me that you can't separate the body, mind, and spirit. Right. And so I I continued um, my body center training. Actually, it was Ari Gill. uh, The day before I was moving up to San Francisco to drive here, I went over to say goodbye to him and his wife. And as I was about to leave, he comes running out of down his driveway and hands me an article. This is before the Internet and said, find this guy. And he hands me an article by Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> and for Bruce. The, pe- the people listening, that Bruce that uh, Dorothy's referring to is Bruce Kumar Francis, who's a very prolific figure in the internal martial arts and yeah. meditation and Qigong community. He's very well known and very accomplished. Yes. Yeah. And so that was back in 95? very beginning of 95 is I think when I moved here. Wow. And, um, so literally I got here, um, one day I, I started studying with one of his students the next day. And, um, so that's when I became deeply, you know, committed to training in internal martial arts, mm-hmm. you know, Tai Chi, Qigong, Taoist breathing and meditation. Yep. Um, because it, it was very clear that, Bruce knew his stuff, and there was some excellent information in there. To say the least, yeah. Um, I also started training in Feldenkrais, the Feldenkrais method, um, which is a, a body center. I'm certified in it. It's a body-centered learning system um, that basically, what I would, I would say is 
it doesn't have to be a standalone system. I would say it can be an approach, a way to approach any movement Mm -hmm. or actually anything. I use the philosophy in my therapy sessions with clients, even if it's not based on movement. Um, But it's, I feel it really, um, sorry if I'm umming a lot this morning. I'm (laughs) Oh no! I know how single single mommy life, as I'm you a said, <laughs> right? I get it. The end of a busy, tiring week. I get it. <laughs> um, and um, anyway, so uh, it I feel it teaches you know, just critical thinking better than anything else. It teaches you to kind of analyze and feel your way through movement based on what you sense from the inside out is the most productive. Um, comfortable, pleasurable way of doing something yeah. versus being told from the out, outside in. Correct. I love it. Um, so that's been a passion of mine for a few decades. Um, over time, when I first became a young therapist, I ended up um, uh, sort of be, uh, interning under an anxiety and panic disorder specialist. And she um, encouraged me to bring in all the somatic stuff I do. She was very, very supportive. And I'd heard so much from Bruce about what that stuff could do. Yeah. And I remember I was the second or third anxiety disorder group I was ever leading. And I just said, well, I was told this stuff would help for this, that, the other. Let's do it. And I remember, it's almost 20 years ago now, one of the groups I was leading, every single member of that group had panic disorder and social anxiety. Each, they each all have said other things like OCD, um, generalized anxiety, but the main thing in common was panic disorder and social anxiety. And I don't know if you or any of our listeners are familiar with just how debilitating panic disorder can be. It, it, people can feel like they're, they are dying. They, it begins yeah. to limit life because they're afraid to go into public or anything that triggers it. Absolutely. And life becomes narrower and narrower and narrower. And, you know, plus there's the social shame of having that happen in public. Sure. So I taught, I was teaching them all Taoist breathing and it was the fifth session, the fifth meeting we met once a week for I believe it was like just an hour and a half or two hours each meeting. In the fifth meeting, every member of that group came in and reported having stopped a panic attack with Taoist breathing. Wow. And that's <laughs> when you say the Taoist breathing, is that the longevity breathing from uh, longevity from breathing from, from Kumar that I learned. Okay. Got yeah. it. And just and, a, just as a real side adjunct, because some of these terms we're tossing around, we know it like the back of our hand, like we know what it means. Yeah. But for the people listening, when Dorothy's talking about um, a couple of things, you said, you know, soul retriever, soul retrieval is a process where essentially in Dorothy, you can change this later. But people essentially, the theory is that traumas that we go through, experiences we go through, we lose a fragment of our soul and a shaman can essentially take you through a process to reclaim that piece, essentially. Right. That's kind of the in a nutshell, bring it back so it's not technically lost or fragmented from you anymore, right? And then Yes. When that, that's what Yeah, you, sorry, the connection's breaking up a bit. Oh sorry. Um, can you hear me okay? I can hear you now. Yeah. It's part part of the Skype process. Um, yeah. But yeah, in a nutshell, and like afterwards you can kind of clear that up even more. And then the longevity breathing that you're talking about was a very um, 
systemized way to approach diaphragmatic breathing that calms the central nervous system, gets people out of their um, stress patterns, more or less. I mean, I know it's deeper than that, but I just want to give people a context to what you're talking about when we say longevity breathing. And if you want to flush it out a little more, you know, to what that is, I would love to hear your thoughts, but I don't want to derail your story either. So. Oh, no, no. Um, maybe I'll answer those two really quickly. Yes. Uh, the, your description from a shaman's perspective of soul retrieval, that would be accurate, mm -hmm. that it would aspects of the spool split off. We, um, access those in what you might call a slightly altered state, mm -hmm. heal them and bring them back to help to integrate and have help the person have access to it. Yeah. As a therapist, I would say these are um, aspects of consciousness that have become so, and this is a um, somatic trauma perspective, that have become so, sorry, something's flashing up on my screen. Oh, no worries. So undercoupled. Mm -hmm. meaning disconnected from, from consciousness, disintegrated from the nervous system, right. that you, which was your psyche solution to overwhelming, unmanageable stress or terror. Yeah. And it's a very good solution to not be that present for something you can't handle. Yep. Yeah, right. To be to be disconnected or dissociated is actually like a, like a survival mechanism in a sense. It's an excellent solution in the moment. Correct. It's... It, it only becomes problematic when you cannot get out of that state or recover that aspect. Right. And so, um, so from a therapeutic perspective, what the shaman does is help reintegrate and help recouple yeah. that stuff into consciousness and so that your, your mind and your nervous system can access it. And you know, what's interesting about this as you're defining that, that definitely ties into when we're talking about the longevity breathing as well, right? That the part about the nervous system and the part of us that um, how the, I think like at least conceptually about how the body will compartmentalize things and we get stuck into a pattern. And you were talking about these, these panic disorders and these anxiety disorders and through the breathing cycle, people were apparently disrupting that process and we're getting are stopping the panic attack from happening. They were actually regaining control of that process. That's just pretty amazing. Yeah. How, um, you know, Bruce would repeatedly tell us that, um, the, the inherent circularity, um, spiraling or spherical nature of Tai Chi and Qigong is inherently soothing to the nervous system. Yeah. And that by working with the breath and the movements, as you're going through that circular cycle, wherever you feel, he would use the word glitch point. Mm -hmm. um, you by sort of relaxing your way through it, you can release these patterns. Another aspect that's inherent in, say, Peter Levine's somatic experiencing is what we might call, or he uses the term pendulation. I'm also a what's an SCP, a somatic experiencing practitioner, mm -hmm. which again, for your listeners, is a body-based way to work with primarily shock trauma. I'm also trained with uh, Kathy Kane and Steve Terrell, um, who are also SEPs, but they took it um, a further direction in terms of working somatically with early childhood developmental trauma, which is ongoing mm -hmm. trauma, all of which has a body-based aspect to it. Yeah. And so what Peter Levine would call pendulation is a healthy nervous system naturally 
kind of, you know, like a sine wave swings back between mild sympathetic arousal, mild parasympathetic. So I'm a little excited. I calm. And it's just right. like, like this. Nice, this is, nice and smooth. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be all one or the other. You know, you need a bit of sympathetic arousal to get up and get something done. You need a bit of parasympathetic um you're sort of activating um, the parasympathetic side, which is more the relaxation side, to calm down. That's the state for healing and rest. Right. So you want this throughout the day. And in modern society, most people are just go, 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 go until they crash. Yep. And they're on caffeine, you know, coffee, Red Bulls, whatever. You name the stimulant, right? They're, they're, they're ratcheted up big time. Yeah. And <clears> so <throat> we're losing this healthy pendulation. Also, a healthy pendulation between external and internal awareness. Mm-hmm. And so, this is what the nervous system likes. And there, there's kind of a term I, I've just made up for myself when I'm working with my clients the past few months is that the, the natural circularity of Taoist breathing, longevity breathing, um, mm-hmm. uh, Qigong and Tai Chi, all, all the internal martial arts. What I've seen happen, you know, I can't say I've been in the lab doing research on it, but what I've seen over the past 20 some odd years as a therapist in my practice is that this stuff seems to create like a surrogate healthy regulatory system. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you've had trauma early in life or chronic stress is the nervous system gets chronically dysregulated. It tends to hang out in a chronic what we call threat response or survival physiology. Yeah. It's just always in fight or flight or just kind of crashing into freeze and it loses this. Yep. And for people that are not watching what the sine wave is, it what Dorothy's making that, very, oh. that smooth up and down motion. Um, yeah. Which is what you want, but it becomes erratic. That pattern becomes exactly right. And, and, and we, we actually can't find the physiology of safety and comfort. Mm hmm. You know, a lot of people are stuck in, you know, what a wild animal would be a threat response. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I just found my my hypothesis (laughs) is that um, this kind of the inherent pendulation of the Taoist breathing Mm -hmm. helps remind the nervous system of hey, this is what's kind of meant to happen. Yeah, and that's that's really important, like you said, because if we, if the body and people cannot get back to that, like most things, right, if we can't get back to a baseline harmonious homeostatic state, the body is always fighting some kind of tension pattern, and then we've got all of these domino effects of problems that follow yeah. suit, right, whether they're physical, emotional, spiritual. I mean, it seems like it's just a no-brainer to get those baseline systems back online in a stable and functioning manner. Yeah. And um, one of the things that's really big in the somatic-based trauma world is what we call co-regulation. And that's one of the things, and you're a daddy, uh, that's so important about like the holding the child and how your state is with your young infant because an infant it does not have the capacity to self-regulate. So its ability to restore a healthy, comfortable, safe homeostasis is it, it's relying upon the nervous system of the parent. 
And, you know, not just the parent, the, you know, if you're looking at wild animals, you know, the herd, the pack, if you look at litters of puppies and kittens, how they're, they're constantly nestling and cuddling, it's through that, that contact and that co-regulation that we reestablish. I love Peter Levine's term, an internal sense of goodness. Mm. That, yeah, you know, like that. Nice. That, sense, that sense in the tummy that all is okay right now. Mm-hmm. It's important. <laughs> and so when you're around chronically dysregulated people, you know, a, a stressed, stressed parent, a traumatized, you know, grandparent, what, you know, highly stressed city, right. your sis, you know, I kind of joke, it's like when everyone's getting together to sing happy birthday and everyone starts to kind of lean towards the key that the loudest person is in. Yeah. Like entrainment. Yeah. They go to the, yeah. right. They go to <laughs> whoever's singing the loudest. We're going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really easy for our nervous systems to kind of end up co-regulating with the loudest nervous system in the room. Wow, that's a really powerful image when you say it like that. In the past, you know, you've used analogies that I always like. Uh, some of your descriptors with body stuff too that I've, I've seen on your YouTube channel, I like. And I can just say as a kind of you know to support what you're saying. I mean, I know people who grew up with very tense, neurotic. Um, unrelaxed parents and that has fully transferred into their adult systems you can see it where they're i mean it's yeah. we, we kind of like pick up the things that were obviously around that environmental factor is very real and it's hard for people to unwind especially if they don't know the tools to engage if they if they're i think people seem to run on autopilot in a sense that the things they pick up were just running the system and no conscious awareness on how to fix it or, or at least to you know mitigate those things yeah, and, and the thing is, and, and this, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, when you and I were talking the other day about, you know, kind of why we might be sitting around doing this kind of thing, <laughs> is, you know, if, if there's one message I always want to give people is you don't have to suffer like this. Yeah. You know, and when people... Most people don't understand this concept of nervous system dysregulation from, from the chronic stress and the trauma. I, I kind of, my joke with my clients is trauma, the crappy gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> because, so true, so true. Because of this, co, this co-regulation that happens, there's also been studies that have been done, I believe there was one uh, with children born to people after 9-11. Oh. And these are these were not pregnancies during eleven. This may have happened in the years after, and mm -hmm. they found that that the children carry the same biological markers of the parents for trauma. Wow! And and the theory is that within one generation, with this with all this stuff we're hearing about epigenetics, that it it can change gene expression. Yeah. Which makes sense in the wild that if there's something very challenging happening in the environment, that if your children are born to better cope with that environmental stressor, so so that would that would make sense for mm -hmm. you know evolution of wildlife. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't make sense if the stressor is no longer there, and. Um, so, you know, we've also seen this with the children of veterans and whatnot, and that's why it's so important to educate people on this concept of, of trauma, the concept of really what's going on in our nervous systems. 
because, Dorothy, can I ask a yeah. quick, quick question to that? Just yeah. to, just as you're talking about that, you know, maybe and maybe it's an overly overly simplified question, but as you're saying that, and you're saying that, you know, people, um, we have these traumas, we have these things, and then we end up holding them, right? And you're like, yeah. you're, you're saying once that stimulus is gone, there's no reason for us to be holding it, right, throughout the rest of our our lives. Fundamentally, why do you think? that we do continue to hold like why don't we just let go of it why is it that these things do just stick unless we consciously engage them do you have any idea like why i mean that's a simple question i guess in some ways but why does it stick why don't we just inherently self-regulate like what's the thing that keeps us from just you know keeping moving forward why do we get stuck well um one of the things i would say is we're the most over domesticated animal on the planet. Mm -hmm. So we're, it's very true. <laughs> you know, we, we've, in order to fit into a certain society, we're constantly being forced to go against our biology. Mm. And this is something we need to understand more and more that, and, you know, our biology is more intelligent than we realize. And sadly, a lot of what we do to domesticate our children um, hampers their biology of what it needs to do to reset. And, you know, we've been so domesticated that, you know, even if we raised our children perfectly, would they be able to recalibrate themselves? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would add to that is in terms of trauma, if we're talking about early child, what we call early childhood developmental trauma, that could be as obvious as something like ongoing abuse or neglect. Sure. It could be things we e o easily overlook, like uh, tr trauma that happens to mother in utero. Birth trauma. A lot of times people overlook birth trauma like crazy because, oh, mother and child survived, the kid's not going to remember, who cares? Mm -hmm. um, your nervous system does. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of um, I've had a lot of clients, um, you know, in their 60s and 70s, before there was awareness of the, the babies in um, NICU needing to be held. So they're, they're born with an illness, they're in the incubators for weeks or months, they don't get touched. Yeah. And they end up with things like what we call depersonalization and derealization disorders, where, you know, they'll go through waves of, of just not feeling real. Mm -hmm. And that can be very scary. Yeah. So think of an infant that's been safe in this womb for a long time with an underdeveloped nervous system. And then you're suddenly there's all these lights and noises. You're being poked and prodded and no one's touching you and holding you. No one's right. helping you regulate. Mm -hmm. No one's helping your nervous system regulate. Right. And... So there's, and I'm not blaming the doctors and nurses for that. Sure. At, they're always doing what the, the best they know how to do in the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of what we're talking about now that seems like common sense, people just didn't think about. Mm -hmm. um, so if your first months and years of life, there's your system is chronic in a chronic threat response. First of all, you don't know what, healthy regulation feels like. Yeah. Yeah. You, this is your normal. Right. It's your and, baseline. Yeah. And so your system also 
doesn't know how to register safety because everything's been a threat. Makes sense. And you, you can't talk yourself into something you were never talked out of. It was a physiological experience. So the solution has to be physiological. Your system has to slowly through like sort of testing and trial and error and in relationship because we're mammals, we were born to co-regulate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it, like a touch-based trauma worker is sort of what's necessary for that kind of thing. I liked what you said about the overly domesticated part. And it seems like, you know, there's a... I'm not sure if you've seen this, um, but um, hunters have talked about this when they're tracking an animal, when a deer has been chased and it gets away, like when an animal actually survives a chase, deer will, um, and I've seen YouTube videos of this and it's kind of amazing, like if they've been chased by something like say a mountain lion or, or whatever the predator is, if they've just gone through hell and back, right, darting through the woods and they've you know smacked into trees and they've just you know made it out, but they got out alive when they stop their bodies will go through this very violent kind of convulsion. They'll tremble and shake and they'll sometimes lay down and it looks like a seizure and people, you know, they used to kind of postulate that they were having a seizure from the trauma. And what they've found is they're not having seizures. They're actually unwinding all of the trauma in their body and what, you know, whatever the animal fears, if it's actual fear, like we feel, or, you know, I'm sure it's some kind of survival response, but they, they tremble they um they writhe around they shake and then they yes. said that's how they if they didn't do that the animal would be less efficient the next time it got chased it would be holding yes. stress patterns and i always yes. thought that was fascinating that here's something that's not technically self-aware the way we are right it doesn't have the ego but it's fundamentally doing its thing because it's just in nature living in the wild interfacing with its natural environment essentially undomesticated and it processes the trauma that it has right on the spot. Like right after it happens, they're pretty much, you know, on on point with the processing. So I find it interesting that you said, you know, this domestication piece where everything's so damn comfortable for the most part. You know, we're just, there's no, we're not jumping into cold water, right? We're not like, we're not getting burned. We're not being chased. You know, there's not these things happening. I think in your right, it throws off some natural rhythms that, um, you know, we probably need that are that are good for us. Yeah, and we're, you know, and most of us live an unusually sedentary life compared to our ancestors. Yeah. And so we sit, we sit in front of computers, we sit in a car, and we're getting stressed out. And again, an animal in the wild would run, it would do something. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, a threat response is something that demands action to a wild animal. Yeah. We sit and sit at the computer, we sit in our car, so we're kind of marinating it. And where, um, you know, there, there's the, the term, I mostly hear it through the somatic experiencing community, so I don't know if it's Peter Levine's term or if he got it somewhere else, but it's called incomplete motor response. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so like that, that threat response is telling your body, do something, like run away or fight or something. And mm-hmm. so you've got all these motor impulses to move Right. that you're constantly suppressing while you're sitting at your computer. Which really, that makes the case for... And then you're also marinating in all those stress hormones. Yes, and it makes the case for for your work. The movement-based therapy is what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, like, um, you know, sometimes with some of my clients, one of the prescriptions is, are you working out? (laughs) 
Um, Are you moving? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I mentioned to you one, one of my current passions right now is equine assisted trauma therapy. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm working with training my horse up towards doing that. And I was watching a video, I, I can't, I apologize, whoever this was on YouTube, one of, one of those great horse whispering cowboy trainers. And he was, he brought a horse into the round pen and he was just demonstrating to the crowd how he could get this, you know, I hate the term, but what would be called an unbroke horse, one that has never been saddled or bridled yet, mm -hmm. that he could get to a certain point within 30 minutes. And it's this process, he was trying to get the horse to do what we call joining up, where, it, where it's basically the horse joins with you. Wherever you're walking, the horse will sort of follow. And it, it's sort of like that herd mentality. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's, it, the horse has shown it's bonding with him. It feels safe enough right. to bond. Right. So he goes through this process for about 30 minutes, and which is for a new horse that hasn't done it before, that, that's really good. That's excellent after 30 minutes. And so after that, after he gets the horse to join up, he then cracks the whip and just sends that thing running. And I love his phrase. He's like, right now we have to let the horse be a horse. It, is, it has been so stressful for this horse to go through this process that we have to let it run its sympathetic arousal off. Wow. So nice. So natural. Yes. And so, you know, that's what I've said to some of my clients sometimes. It's like, sometimes you just have to let the horse be a horse. Yeah. Let, you the, know, let the animal out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, obviously, we need to have that sort of observing ego that goes, okay, you can't go hit anyone. <laughs> you can't go. <laughs> but you do have to let that, those, that activation, those motor impulses do something. Absolutely. God, that's such a beautiful image and a great metaphor for all of us uh, on some on some level. And I think that's that's a great question to be asking the people you're working with. Are you exercising? Are you moving? Are you actually doing the animalistic? Are you moving your flesh suit, essentially? Are you getting this thing yeah. activated? Are you moving it? Are you doing something? And, you know, to kind of swing this back through, you know, to that initial thread too, because that horse work is really interesting. And I, and I, I do want to hear more about that, but it, it, it does bring me back to the first thing we were talking about when you're talking about all of these different ways that you approach therapy with people, you've got um, many things that are somatically based, right? The, 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 the integration of the body in relation to the things we go through, right? The traumas, the experiences, the good, bad, the ugly, and how that relates to the tissues and the physicality of our body you know, when when you found the Taoist arts and you were studying with Kumar and you found Qigong, Taoist meditation, Tai Chi, as you know, and both of us know, some of these movements, the physicality of those movements are highly refined and it requires a deep sensitivity to get into crevices and joints of the body and spaces in the body that most people are completely oblivious to, right? First time I heard Bruce say, you know, feel the movement of your liver, I thought, like... <laughs> What does that even mean, bro? Like, like put that into <laughs> dummy terms for me because I don't understand move your liver or what that, I, I wasn't even hip to the idea that organs could slosh and move. It wasn't on my radar. So with this refinement of movement that you've seen in these Taoist arts, right, the deep sensitivity and developing that, you know, how does that link up and relate that, that deep sensitivity? Do you think it's just a, do you see it as like a highly refined tool to do deep work? Like, how do you kind of like bridge the idea between highly refined movement and 
you know, it being therapy. Like, I mean, I, I have my ideas, but I would love to hear yours. Yeah, that's very complicated. And um, I just, just, I don't want to scare our listeners off. <laughs> you, you, you can get a lot out of Qigong and not feel any of that stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Just, absolutely. If, you know, um, that's why, you know, one of the, one of, I have those free videos on YouTube. If mm-hmm. anyone wants to like, just my name, Dorothy Fitzroy on YouTube, just more to looking at just kind of feeling the bones and muscles. Yeah. And what I love about the Taoist practices is how many layers they are. You, you can start out and just do the most basic level and get a lot out of it. Or you can, you can, it has this almost infinite depth that you could never get through in an entire lifetime. Right. Which suits someone like me with a relentless curiosity. Yeah. I love that idea that there's, you know, to go where no man has gone before. There's always something more to explore. Sure. And so that's, that's, but that's not fun for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when, um, it's interesting you brought this up because in my mind, it's sort of bridging something I was thinking about when we were talking about the horse stuff and letting the horse be a horse is when I integrate it with my clients, it is very individual. Yeah. Because there's no one size fits all. There are general tendencies. And, you know, one of the things that comes up like years ago, I did a a free teleseminar and the call was, I think I entitled the call when not to meditate or why not to meditate. And don't get me wrong. I love meditation. I've been doing it for over 20 years, 25 years. I don't know. Um, but it, I think sometimes we, um, over glorify it in such a way that I found a lot of my clients end up shaming themselves because they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years ago I was taking a training with Peter Levine on working with, uh, war veterans and active military. And one of the first things he said when he walked into a room, just jam packed. I don't know many people were in there. We're like all sitting like this. And he says, how many of you in here are psychotherapists? And probably about 75% of the room raised their hands. And he said, how many of you keep your clients sitting still all the time? And maybe about half the room raised their hands. And he says, well, that's a great way to keep them stuck in the freeze response. By not moving their body. Yeah. And I think sitting meditation for most people is an intermediate or advanced practice. When you have people with a lot of trauma or a lot of like, again, these incomplete motor responses, um, anxiety, all of that. And what can accidentally happen in sitting meditation is they, they force or suppress that response. They check out of it. Um, or the anxiety rises so much they just can't they they can't handle the sitting meditation. It becomes so grueling and unpleasant that they never want to do it again. Yeah. And for a lot of my clients, that that's what I love about things like Feldenkrais or mm-hmm. Qigong or yoga, 
I just say start with the moving meditations. Give your body something to do. So you're, you're training a meditative style awareness. You're, you're training that relaxing into the process. Yeah. But not, you're not forcing a highly agitated system to sit still when your system's screaming, ha, ah, do something. Right. And so I just think the moving meditations are a lovely, I think they're a lovely standalone thing, and they're also a lovely way to help people move into a sitting practice. I like that you said it's an intermediate to advanced because I, like you, um, have had very similar experiences. People have shamed themselves, clients of mine who are, they shame themselves over not being able to sit in meditation or they're, yeah, they say I'm no good or I'm not, I'm, I'm not good at this. Therefore I shouldn't do it or I won't ever do it again. They, they get into this really weird downward spiral about not being able to sit still. Um, which is, you know, when I work with people and I give them meditation style things, it's part of my platform. I have a menu, you know, there's candle gazing, there's walking, sitting, laying, standing. There's a bunch of different yeah. ways to, to do this or Tai Chi as a, as a method. Um, so do you think that, I mean, I think it's a pretty relevant message, but I mean, I, I think it is right that people, they need to get into their minds at some point that the body is attached to the things that we feel and experience and to not, if, if we think of those things as separate, that's problematic. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. No, I, and, you know, you said you um, had some interest in the horse work. You know, I have to say since I've been, uh, I'm training with a lovely trainer, Chris Ellsworth, out in the East Bay Lifelong Cowboy, who's all about the relationship with the horse. Mm-hmm. I'm in a training program called Natural Lifesmanship, um, this group based out of, near Austin, Texas. And, you know, how do I put it? It's, it's all about being, you're so present with the horse when there's this, because the horse, it can't, it can't speak English. You can't use your words. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're these giant 1600 pound prey animals. And you have to win their trust. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't understand that you're paying their bills. <laughs> you know, they, the only thing they understand really is your body language. And just the slightest tilt of your eye, the slightest change of breath, whether you're slightly leaning in or out. And everything with them is, is it's like about pressure and release like just an increase in your body energy, an increase in leaning in or leaning out changes the pressure you're putting on this creature. And what I've noticed in, in working with my horse in this way, I have to admit it, I have, I've understood the concept of presence far better in working with my horse than for meditation. I'll bet. <laughs> because, you know, I kind of joke that they're these like giant 1600 pound biofeedback machines. Because they will let you know everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. You check out for one moment, they'll respond to that. Yeah. Highly sensitive. Very sensitive. Very amazing process. And I'm, I'm saying this um, not because I'm trying to win anyone over to working with horses. I'm saying it to let people know, don't over-glorify one technique. 
which I'm seeing happen in, in the Bay Area about, you know, sitting meditation and oh, and all this stuff. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But the world is filled with wonderful things. Yeah. And the most wonderful thing is to honor at any given moment what's best for your system. Could not agree more. The best, you know, the best thing for your system might be, you know, turning on a queen CD and screaming at the top of your lungs. Sure. Because that's what your system needs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I don't want anyone to feel like, again, it's a, it's an issue for me because I've, I've just had so many clients feel like they're failures because they can't do sitting meditation. Well, and it's sad, right? It's a, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a crummy place to see them in. Because, like yeah. you said, there are so many different things that we can do to augment and shift the system, and, and there, and, and we might need different things at different times. Same goes with diet. Yeah. People, you know, people fluctuate with their diet. And I'm like, that's all right. There's a reason that we have seasonal eating. You know, <laughs> things are supposed to shift and move around a little bit. Yeah, they're supposed yeah. to. Let me ask you a question about this. About so, with the horse work, um, what's really interesting is you said these they're giant biofeedback, you know, like machines that they are feeding off of you. So. And, and vice versa, when you are working with horses, you know, I always think when we have experiences, I'm always doing my best to find the confluence. What's the common thread between the things, between my Tai Chi practice, my my diet, um, how I interface with my daughter. I'm always looking for some kind of common threads and what's the same in life. So with working with horses and you're saying that it's, uh, you've, you've had this, you know, under, a deeper understanding and a better understanding of presence through working with horses, you know, in terms of, I guess, how you relate to people or to your clients or, or your collective skill set, how has working with the horses translated into bettering yourself with people? Because oh, I, my God. Yeah. So what's <laughs> That's a really good question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, again, this concept of pressure and release. Mm hmm. We get so as humans, we get so caught up in our words but if if you were really if you were really to kind of sit back and watch how you respond to people, are you responding more to the words they're using or their body language, their facial expressions, their, their energy, you know? And um and so again with with a horse when you're working with horses, one of the most the main thing you're looking at is what what are you asking of the horse? And you have to be very clear with your body language and your energy level, what you're asking. And then you have to be very clear of how they're making sense of it. Because it might take them a while to figure out how to make sense of that sure. body language. Sure. So it's this constant tango. It's this, you know, or in our terms, like push hands mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of adjusting your pressure level and being able to read this other creature when you don't speak the same language. So your only language is this pressure. And... Um, so pressure in that, the horse world, maybe for some horses, when you have a a really elegant horse and a very sensitive, um, person, you might just think it and the horse feels it and it does it. The next level of pressure might be changing your breath or changing your energy level slightly. That is still imperceptible to a human, but the horse gets right. If it's still not getting it, the next level of pressure might be the way you're leaning your body. 
and you know we we keep amplifying that pressure until they're not getting it you might need to crack the whip or you might need to pop them on the butt with a rope mm-hmm. you know it's not about being mean it's like it's just like hey language yeah you know, yeah it's the same thing with your like with your kids it's like hey clean up your room hey clean up okay you know i don't think you've gotten to this point yet with your your daughter well, <laughs> but it, it's cleaning certain, up it's cleaning up toys in the living room it's not yeah <laughs> at a certain point when you said the same thing through oh here's my cat hello um, kitty <laughs> three, three, three dozen times and you and then you're yelling. Yes. <laughs> That's that increase in pressure. Right. And um, and so as humans, we're really not aware of the pressure we're using. Uh-huh. You know, some people, um, you know, and I had to have this discussion with a client the other day. His pressure goes from zero to 80 miles an hour like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but he's so used to it, he can't, he can, it's all or nothing. And so his partner perceives it as, as threat. And so trying to practice varying degrees of, you know, and it's not just the words. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> the cat wants to be on the podcast for sure. Um, being able to um, adjust our pressure given the situation at hand, just like if you're doing push hands, but it's just relational pressure and knowing when to release it. Like I I have a very dear client. I've been seeing it as individual and um, you know, recently she's wanted to start bringing her husband in for some sessions with her and, and you, most people probably know when you're in a long-term relationship, frustrations build. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> of, of like, take out the garbage, get off your phone. Yes. <laughs> Things like that. And so um, with this one issue, pressure was very high. So she was very upset and frustrated in session. And, and then her husband there was a change. There was this change in his attitude and he started to shift and think about it. And you could see him percolating. Mm-hmm. You could see this turning where there was some learning happening, but she's still on the other side of the room going at him. Right. She wasn't yelling, but she was still heated. Yeah. And, and it's a difficult moment as a therapist because I don't want her to feel unheard. Sure. But the pressure had to stop to give his nervous system the feedback, you're going in the right direction. Uh-huh. Let the learning <clears throat> Right. Otherwise, boom, you've, just, you've basically punished the learning. Right. Because you haven't used the pressure. Right. And, you know, so I, I had to, like, really gently and lovingly go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get, let, it, let, and, it, let him integrate. Um, <laughs> I think, um, and and luckily with a lot of my clients, I'm I'm using the terms of pressure and release, and so she got it. You know, she was frustrated, but she's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. she's boiling over there. But I had to take that neurological pressure off him, mm-hmm. so that could happen. Right. And that that's and so 
I feel this sorry, your, your connection language Dorothy, of pressure. Your connection broke up just for a quick second. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, it just broke up for a quick can second. You but you were you said so um, after you said that to the woman, after you got her to, to calm down, from that point forward, I lost a little bit of what you said. Okay. Um, I had to get her to take the pressure back. Mm-hmm. Because in the, you know in the end we're animals. Yeah, we 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 can. I mean, th- this is somehow I can't remember where in history was it. I'm sure it probably it started before before Descartes and all that. But just this somehow we have to be above our biology. This separate. Yeah. You you cannot separate it. And the more the more deeply I, I get into specializing in trauma, and I almost hate saying it because one of my trainers used to say, you know, civilization is inherently traumatizing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's very <laughs> true. On your face. Yeah. And so I agree. You know, it sounds funny to say I specialize in trauma because I'm like, well, that would be all of us. Right. Every person, if you're human, right? Yeah. I have three little dogs, and they're often in the therapy room with me as you know it help give my clients something to co-regulate with sure. that's less threatening with a human and my joke is they're in the room because they're the healthiest creatures in this room <laughs> right right they're behaving the most naturally right yeah so with that so then it's in this kind of goes back so like the bet would, would you say in a nutshell that you know what you've picked up from the horse medicine that you've been interfacing with is this pressure release thing in terms of um, interpersonal communication, you know, partners, relationships. So it's learning how to read um, those, if I'm hearing this right, you know, you can always correct me, but that what you're saying, like the horse picks up on, you know, breathing cycles, um, head tilt, eye movement. It's reading these nonverbal cues, essentially. And am I hearing you right that you're saying that like with people, it's no different, that we have to be reading these things and attentively like aware of how much pressure we're giving yeah. off and how much we're receiving and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I say to my clients a lot of the time is we need to learn to speak nervous system. Mm-hmm. It's our own and the other person's nervous system is speaking to us all the time. But what we've learned to do, one of my jokes is like, we've learned to sort through those messages and like, just let it go into the spam folder. Yeah. Yep. And it's some of the most important information we can have. I mean, look, look at our linguistic history. What are the terms we use? My gut reaction. Yeah. Well, my gut told me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they're, what they're finding with science is we have brain cells throughout our gut. Yep. And one of uh, Steve Hoskinson, my SE trainer, um, his saying was, you know, there's, I think the approximate breakdown is 90% of the neurons in the gut are sending messages to the brain. Yes. Only 10% are the brain sending messages to the gut. So I love his saying, he's like, that means the gut has nine times more to say to the brain than vice versa. Yeah. So how important is that information that we're sending into our spam folder? Right, right. No, I I could not. And I have to just give the little side shoot here, you know, because um, what you just said, you know, there's, are you familiar with the HeartMath Institute? They've yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know they, their whole thing about how many the the wiring essentially in the heart compared to the brain. It's like this thing is giving signals to the brain, and then in Chinese medicine they've got you know the, the three dantians. They've got the lower burner, the middle, and the upper, and they're basically saying these three brains 
that are processing life and reality and emotions and our physiology, right? These three centers are so critically important. And I have to ask, you know, in the context of uh, the Taoist arts and the Qigong stuff, did Bruce ever talk about that? I mean, I know, I know, I heard him talk about, I heard him talk about it. Yeah, totally. I heard him talk about it, but did he specifically talk about this kind of stuff, I guess, like that, the, 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 the neurons, the science of it, or did he kind of keep it in the loose Chinese, you know, um, concept range? I, you know, I don't, I don't recall him speaking it in those terms. Okay. Um, again, I haven't, I haven't, uh, been to a class with him since I had, I got pregnant. So it's been many years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, too busy mommying. Um, but what's, what's been fascinating, um, you know, cause I've been doing the Taoist arts, since 95 mm-hmm. and you know for a long time i i didn't really know like this trauma science was out there and so i was in in my office with um clients trying to integrate bruce's stuff and feldenkrais stuff and i was i was getting results i didn't quite understand why but i was really working hard at it to figure it out and i remember in my first somatic experiencing class my whole body just relaxed and went, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. (laughs) And it was this, (laughs) the science is there. What I've, what I've been seeing, you know, for, you know, a couple decades. Okay. The science is there. There's some techniques. So somatic experiencing and, um, uh, brilliant, wonderful Kathy Kane and, and Steve Terrell, who do the early child developmental trauma work. I don't think there's a fi- I'm not sure if there's an officially a name yet to what they do. I've been training with them for years, but they don't have a name that's commonly known. But um, training with them has enabled me, has given me this bridge and this clinical permission um, to really integrate and understand that Taoist stuff and the Feldenkrais stuff at a whole right. new level. Right. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to fault Bruce for not knowing all that science stuff. Sure. I mean, there's only so much one person can do. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, like really understanding the work of people like, uh, Stephen Porges with the polyvagal theory. There's also another trauma scientist. I always, I believe his first name is Bruce, Bruce Perry, but his work is what the natural licensemanship, the horse people, they emphasize and really having the gift of that scientific background of what these people are finding is going on in the nervous system. And then going back to like the stuff that Bruce is sharing and, you know, which, you know, has its background in Chinese medicine and philosophy. And there's part of you going, wow, has it always been there? you know and like how do we how do we unlock it in such a way that we can utilize it for each individual right it's a good question Um, yeah because that's one of the things i found that was frustrating was sometimes the the sort of blanket standard way of applying the Taoist stuff to people didn't always work sure because people have different backgrounds and so as a therapist what I would always say is I don't want you to work for Qigong. I want Qigong to work for you. Mm-hmm. I said, you're, no one's going to pay you to go up on, you're not going to make a living going up on stage performing Qigong for people. So who gives it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what in it is going to make your life better? 
Yep. And so my passion has been trying to figure out, like for each individual, how can I take this amazing stuff, make it accessible to you for you for the specific challenges you're going through? Right. Adapt. Well, you know, it's funny the <clears throat> the interview that I just had um, that I just released the last episode. We were talking about the arts adapting to to people and to to the times and and basically that that adaptation thread is very real and I, I you hit it yeah. just just now on the head which is how do we adapt these things that obviously have tremendous merit and when people engage them and they link up and they get into somebody they really work but given our backgrounds given our traumas given how we were raised all these different things in life and our rhythm right if you have two kids or three kids or you've got two jobs or whatever you're doing how do you adapt these things to get into the person and make them beneficial and working uh, for them? I mean, that's a that's a damn good question and one that's worth sitting with. I mean, I admire yeah. I admire you for you know biting that off. It's not easy. I mean, figuring out how to adapt this stuff to people, it's a um, it's tricky business, but it's great that you're doing it. Well, I think you know it's funny. The part of me, I just laugh at the comp. I can't take it as a compliment because for me, that that's what makes life fun. Sure. Sure. That's why I love my job. Yeah. I mean, I, it I, it started when I was a kid, like when I was 12, 13 years old. I I was a was a what was called a cross age tutor. They would send me into like the younger kids' classrooms and and tutor them, and and I had this passion in me, like just really believed you can learn. Anyone can learn. We just don't know how you need to learn. <laughs> yeah. And so. You know, the teachers got used to like wanting me to work with the special needs kids just because I I would not give up. I'm like, I'm going to figure out what the teachers don't have time to do that with every individual kid. Mm -hmm. And and that was always fun for me. Yeah. It's it's exciting, you know, and um and and why it pains me so much to see you know people giving up on their own healing process or you know it's just all i want to say is the answers are out there they are <laughs> there's there's so much amazing information there's so many amazing practitioners and even they're not amazing practitioner they might have a whole piece of information that's just what you need to hear <laughs> yeah absolutely well and even you saying this i mean i have to like invite you into this and i know you're slammed and you're busy but on your YouTube channel, do you talk about some of these ideas? Do you talk about like the polyvagal stuff? Do these things that, that come across your sphere that get you spinning and get you thinking about how to apply these things? Are you talking about these things? Are you giving? Because I would, I would love to hear. I mean, if you were, if you were doing that kind of thing, I think it would provide tremendous value because I think that exposure is oftentimes what people need. They don't even know the door to walk through because they don't know the door exists. The idea hasn't even crossed their mind, you know? But I think you explain these things well, and if you're if you did do that, I think you'd have some some listeners in that venue. People would be like, yeah. I'd be I'd be one of them. I'd be like, tell me about polyvagal, like drop <laughs> drop your five minute bit about that, and let me go down my rabbit hole. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, no, um, I I I sorry, I'm tearing up a little bit. I I'd love to. Um, I just you know, as we said earlier, um, I'm a bit stuck in overwhelmed single mommy mode I, and I believe it <laughs> I loved making those free videos mm -hmm. um it's just my, my practice is on the fuller side and like like and since I bought my 
hours. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Life gets a hold of you. I get it. I yeah. Tot- I totally get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to I want to apologize for the beginning of this interview because I think I was a little revved and having trouble <laughs> settling in. It's OK. <laughs> we got but there. It's been a busy week. Yeah, uh, I hear you most definitely. Well, Dorothy, you know, we've 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 hit a lot of really cool topics. And, you know, I originally wanted to get you on here because we had some shared we've had some shared passions. We've crossed paths in the past. Um, and I always liked the way you taught. I loved the way you described things. And, and I did like the adaptability that you bring because you made things, ideas to me that I had heard within even the Taoist arts that you made accessible just through some of your descriptions. I thought, yeah, that's a great way to think about it in a different way that spoke to me for sure. I'm visual and I'm kinesthetic. So if people who are listening to this interview and have heard you kind of go, we've talked about, you know, Qigong, we've talked about breathing, trauma, therapy, horses, um, pressure and release and, and people interfacing people that are new to these topics or that ha- haven't had these doors open before, what would be your collective invitation for people? Um, if they were entering into this process and, you know, being attentive and everything you've gleaned from, <laughs> from working with horses and these things, how would you invite people into this collective larger process of healing? You know, the spectrum that, that you kind of deal in. Um, That's a really good question. You know, it's it's funny. What I would the thing that's coming to my mind is going to sound really funny. This is more on my intuitive side. First word that comes to my mind is love. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have enough love for yourself to give yourself that time? Are you going to have enough love to want life to be better and what that would look like? Um, I think we both resonated with Peter Levine's term, an internal sense of goodness. Yeah. I I think so much of our lives are addicted to the technology or, you know, drugs or, or sex or whatever. Like I would say high, high stimulation stuff. I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with sex, but I mean, in a more of an addictive manner. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, but we've lost the capacity for, you know, like just looking at my cat and feeling, you know, or I have a home office that overlooks a garden, you know, and I have my clients sitting at the garden because sometimes it just causes them to stop. They see hummingbirds in my backyard and go, and, um, are you going to love yourself enough? to find the things or a thing that helps you regulate enough to feel better inside, Mm -hmm. to feel that internal sense of goodness, to be able to receive the small pleasures in life that are all around you, a beautiful sunset, you know, a, a friend walking down the street. And um, so I would just say maybe pick two things. One, on the active side, are you, are you getting exercise that lets your horse be a horse? Doesn't matter what it is, going to the gym, skateboarding, surfing, whatever. Great question. But are you letting are you letting your biology express itself? 
And then on the other thing I would say to pick is some kind of practice that helps recalibrate your, the baseline of your nervous system. So you're not either always revving high or rev crash, rev crash. You know, whether it's sitting meditation, whether it's Tai Chi, whether it's yoga, whether it's knitting. Mm-hmm. You're going to dedicate something in your life to helping find this really comfortable, you know, I jokingly remember the, I don't know, I don't have television, so I don't know if they're still around, but remember those old Corona beer commercials where you just see feet in a hammock and someone's throwing their cell phone in the water. Great commercials. Yeah, I remember them. <laughs> you know, are, are you going to find doing, commit to several times a week getting to that yoga class or getting to that Tai Chi class or whatever and, or getting to therapy, whatever helps you, your nervous system Find safety. Find that sense of like, I can hang out in a comfortable place until a stress response is needed. (laughs) And then I go back to that felt internal sense of safety and comfort. Beautiful. Well, I I love what you just said and definitely some, some, um, some consistent threads with basic yin yang theory, right? It's like oh, yeah. you need the rest and digest and you need the fight or flight and you need the things in life that are going to be stimulated and active and being the horse, letting the horse be a horse. And then you need to find something that allows you to get into that yin, passive, receptive, cooling off yeah. state. And when people, when we don't have these, boy, these interplays, I think you hit it right on. It's like when those things are not happening, one becomes excessively in charge. Right. One, there, there's way too much yeah. the scales get way too tipped one sided. And then we've got these imbalances that are difficult to navigate. Right. There's no um, it's yeah. Life is like what you said, the internal experience. Right. Like for you to feel better inside gets harder, the less uh, or I should say the more these things get out of whack. So that's a, that's a great invitation. I really like that. And it's and it's simple. You know, two things. <laughs> that's nice. It's not an overwhelm for the people for the people listening. It's great. Yeah. If, you know, obviously there's plenty you can do, but, you know, you get those two things and life's going to be better. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to start. I, I appreciate it. Dorothy, I really appreciate you being here. I know how busy you are and how the single mom <laughs> life is crazy and you got a full practice. So um, I know, you know, even just getting you here was, was a time commitment. So I, again, I appreciate you being here. If people want to um, follow your work, they want to check you out, see what you're doing, or keep you know some kind of relative track of you. What's the best way to do that? Um, I would say I'm not very active on the internet, but I have a website, uh, Dorothy Fitzer, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y-F-I-T-Z-E-R.com. Um, I have a couple dozen of those free videos on YouTube, which um, I encourage people to check out um, just because they're free. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of, all the, all the information there is, is based both on Feldenkrais and Bruce's work. Great. And so it, I've had clients, uh, not clients, but people from all over the world say they've developed their own practice just from those free videos. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. That's a win. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if someone's interested in working with me, they can always um, contact me, Dorothy at DorothyFitzer.com. 
And um, hopefully, like you asked, I will get back into making some more free videos soon. I've had a lot of requests. Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, I know how busy you are, but I, I, I do think you have an aptitude for taking some of these ideas and explaining them in a way that are accessible, that are adaptable. And it's something I strive for, but um, when I see it, you know, I always have to like point it out and say, you're good at that. So it's something to consider just in terms of getting foot traffic to your website too. YouTube's pretty amazing in that way of, you know, people see you like, well, that, that woman Dorothy was making a lot of sense. Maybe I'll, you know, <laughs> go work with her. <laughs> so I think it can bring business too in the big picture. But, um, but again, Dorothy, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time and um, people know where to find you if they want to check you out. So thanks a bunch. Great. It was, it was really great talking to you, Gray. Yeah, likewise. Okay, take care. You too. All right, bye.